0: consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on patreon even one dollar can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy look for a link over at the batmanuniverse.net to offer your support now and now on with the show in 2008
1: a podcast was created with one goal to bring bat fans around the world news related to movies comics video games television, merchandise, and so much more. And now, the Batman Universe Podcast has returned. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the TVU Podcast. Uh, Joining me today is BJ and Scott, and today we have uh, something that's we mentioned in the past episode that we were going to do, but we decided to move it up. Um, first off, obviously, last week we did not have an episode. That was mostly because the episode would have released right before the 4th of July. And quite honestly, we all know that everybody's got their own plans when it comes to summer and things like that. So we figured we would uh, hold off on an episode that specific week. But we're back this week, and specifically, we are talking about Batman Returns. Um, we are going to be kind of doing not so much like a... see. If you're a long-time TBU listener, you probably are you probably already know that we've done a commentary. It's available on a separate uh, feed called TBU Commentaries. Um, you can find it on Apple and all the other podcast platforms. But we did one, like, ages ago. Like, I'm talking a very long time ago. Probably a solid 12 years or more ago kind of situation. And the at the time, it was... It is what it is. And as you as you grow as a Bat fan and as you absorb more content, you go to you go to appreciate things that you might not have appreciated before. And I think Batman Returns, while it's obviously not lauded compared to let's say Batman Robin or to a degree, Batman Forever. There are people who do not find Batman Returns as good as Batman 1989 or the Dark Knight trilogy, or obviously more recently with uh, the Batman. But there's it. There's still a lot of really thing great things to appreciate. And this year, specifically uh, in the month of June, the film is celebrating its 30th anniversary when it first released in theaters. So we wanted to kind of do like a retrospect. And talk about, um, you know, a variety of different things from the film. So, um, as usual, when it comes to one of these things, I typically pass it off to Scott because he does a great job uh, prepping for this. And I, I, I unfortunately don't have the ability to do that. So, Scott. What do we have in store for Batman Returns?
0: The way I have this set up is, you know, I'm going to start off with a question, and then we'll talk about special effects a little bit, favorite moments, and then go into the individual characters, and then come together into what we think the movie's about, and at the very end, I have an extra question about one of the very minor characters that I know BJ and I have often joked about. Um But we'll get to that. So I'll dive right in. I'm going to start off. Um, we did do an episode, you know, a while back about whether or not we thought this was a Christmas movie. Um, you can listen to that episode, and it's a, it was a pretty fun one. But I'm going to start off by asking the question, is it weird to release a Christmas movie in June where said, quote, Christmas movie, unquote, starts with Pee Wee Herman and his wife abandoning their deformed son in a river? in kind of a Moses vibes kind of way.
1: Um, so it's interesting because th- this is this this isn't the only movie this happens in and honestly we can look at the Batman and say that film literally was Halloween night and it released in March. And obviously they had planned on it releasing at a different point in time in the year. Regardless it happened when it did and it's just amusing that it all, you know things like that always, you know, ha- end up working out the way they do. Um, the Batgirl film is supposed to be taking place around the Christmas season and or the holiday season, and uh, who knows if that movie is actually going to be hitting theaters um, or HBO Max, whatever they're going to end up doing with that film around Christmas. Is it weird to have a filming uh, in June for Christmas? No, and I think the reason why is because at least here in America, when you think of Christmas, or at least most people think of Christmas, you think of snow, you think of Uh, You know, tons of decorations and things like that. But I think that there's a lot of places, if you're not from the Midwest or the Northeast or certain parts of the Northwest, I don't really think that 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 idea of Christmas is a real thing when it comes to the vast majority of America. If you live in the South or you live in the West, there's you don't have snow. You don't have like, yeah, there's decorations and such, but it's very different. Portrayal, And I think I grew up in the Midwest and I always just assumed I associated snow with Christmas. And then as I got older, I realized how little it actually is snowing during Christmas. So I think in the larger scheme of things, uh, to answer your question, I don't think it's too weird to do that. Um, I think that if you're... Whether or not it's a Christmas movie is, you know, can be obviously heavily debated, and we've we've done that before. But I think that if you look at it from the idea of it not necessarily being a Christmas film, but it being a film that takes place during that season, I don't think it's that strange. That would be different if it was a film that was strictly about Christmas, like you know some of the famous movies like Home Alone or A Christmas Story or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Those films are obviously those would be weird to come out in. You know, in that time frame of, of June, but for this film, it just happens to have the setting of that time of the year, so I think it's okay for it to to be to, to be released in June.
2: Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's strange to uh, have it be a Christmas movie in June, but it's obviously strange to throw at the uh, baby in the first scene of the movie. But that's uh, timber, and I'm sure we'll discuss. We'll get all into the Burtonisms. But I'm sure, Scott, that you kind of were wishing it was Christmas watching it in uh middle of summer. I'm sure it's warm wherever you are.
0: Yeah, it it was pretty hot today. Um, and I did yeah. brush up on it again today. But, yeah, it was just something I noticed because, you know, going back to the opening with um, baby penguin being dumped into the river, it seems like – and then throughout the movie, it seems like – you know, the plot and the structures, everything that's kind of the antithesis of what we would think about in the Christmas season. So I assume the June thing is also partly because that's when the previous one was released was in June at some point. So they're just continuing with the same dates, just like Star Wars likes, uh, or used to like um, May releases. But um, before we get into uh, favorite moments, something that... Uh, jumps, uh, jumped out at me, and I feel like it surprises me every time I watch this because I forget about it. Is that uh, the penguin makeup? Like I really like penguins' design in here, um, but I always forget that it's done by Stan Winston, and that's interesting because you know he's arguably one of the most famous um, special effects, costume design, makeup people in the business, you know, some of his more prestigious work has been the original Jurassic Park. You know, he designed the Predator. Um, He did special effects for the Terminator and the Thing. So, you know, it's interesting that here he is working on a Batman movie, you know, and his work, you know, naturally enough, really leans into the gothic horror aesthetic that Tim Burton also really leans into in this movie over the previous Tim Burton Batman film.
1: I will say I'm not as huge of a fan of you know, the overall design of Penguin, but I, I can appreciate that there was, you know, a good chunk of work. Um, and the fact that based off of that Gothic horror, uh, atmosphere that Tim Burton kind of like placed the movie in it, it works within the confines of the movie. Um, is it my favorite version of the character? Certainly not. Um, you know, honestly, whenever I see, a comic artist kind of make their version of the character based off of the Batman Returns version of Penguin. I kind of get annoyed, but that's not to say that I can't appreciate it. I think the part of the film that disturbs me—not uh, disturbs—is probably a strong way of putting it. But like the part that is so uh, off-putting, I'll say is is the part where he's got the black goo coming out of his mouth it's just i don't understand it i mean i understand that he's supposed to be you know some sort of deformed child or whatever and he's he's deformed and uh, he, he, whatever he he has a, he has his own set of issues and is to, to the point where his parents get rid of him and uh you know get him, get throw him into a river but the thing is i i don't understand the black goo i know i've mentioned this before when we've talked about the film but i I don't understand the 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 point of the black goo. Uh, I'm not sure if that was intention intended. You know if that's something Stan Winston worked on or not. But it, when when you look at it within the confines of the Gothic horror film, I think the version of the character works. I just don't want to see it spread out and become something that affects other you know points of medium when it comes to the penguin.
2: Yeah, for that design of Penguin where he's got flippers for hands. That was our design for Penguin in the, the animated series. Obviously less gross and less um, goo everywhere. He was more of a gentleman in the animated series, but it was definitely a different take on the Penguin where he was a deformed mutant um, than we've seen in the past. And uh, He had his rubber ducky toy. I love the rubber ducky vehicle. I know there's a Funko coming out about that. I'm going to have to try to pick that up. But it's definitely a unique uh unique penguin that we'll probably never see that version again, really, in live action.
0: Yeah, probably not. I mean, you know, it, it it probably would be a little dated though too to to drag that up. It's kind of its of its own air and its own, you know, unique spot, I guess, in film. Um but on that note, you know, watching it again, what are your favorite moments from the movie? So
1: one of my favorite moments um, has to do more with kind of the overarching romantic element of the film. You know, when you watch Batman 1989, Vicki Vale exists, but I don't really feel like there's any real chemistry there. I feel like Bruce is smitten with her. She's smitten with the idea of Batman, and that's the extent of how they come to be. Regardless of how it ends up at the end of the film, it... It just it it's not very strong when it comes to that element between them. But with this film, I think one of the strongest things in the film is the Selena and uh, Bruce element. Um, it does a great job by itself. But then uh, I think by far my favorite moment of the film is actually at the end when Batman takes his his you know he rips his mask off in the um, the power area where you know there's the 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 electricity and such and he he basically says the catwoman like she has the ability to be good and that, I like that moment. It, it, it says leaps and bounds what those two characters are and who they are outside of just film. It's like, you know, I was just complaining about how I'm not a huge fan of this version of Penguin in the film, but when it comes to the relationship that's shown between Selena and Bruce, I think the film does a great job. Um, I wouldn't, I, it, it, honestly, I would put it right on par with what we just saw with the Batman with Selena and Bruce. Um, but even more because sp- Bruce isn't really the character that, uh, Selena's dealing with. She's more dealing with, with Batman. But like when you compare it to, let's say, you know, Selena and Bruce or Batman and Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises, I, that's, there's, it's not really, it's nowhere near as good. I think Batman Returns is just far superior when it comes to that romantic side of it. And when you look at just the other films in general of, the relationships that Bruce has had in film, I think that honestly, the Selena Bruce relationship or Catwoman and Batman relationship in Batman Returns is honestly one of the best we've seen out of all the live action films. Um, I, I put it leaps and bounds above, uh, Vicki Vale in Batman 1989. Uh, when it comes to Batman Forever and Chase Meridian, sorry she's just obsessed with him and you know she wants to get close there's no even point of mentioning the love interest in Batman Robin the Rachel Dawes stuff like to a degree there's something there but it feels like Bruce is like latching on to something from his past and it's just not something that's actually there for him to 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 get any sort of reciprocation from so i think ultimately i feel like Batman Returns does a great job and then the Batman is is very you know right there when it comes to the relationship side of stuff. And, you know, it's funny when you think about an action film or a superhero film, you're probably gonna think about the characters and you're probably gonna think about you know the villains and the the action and the plot and all that, but honestly, When I look at Batman Returns, my favorite aspect is that relationship between them. And I think that there was a lot of really good chemistry between Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer.
2: Yeah, I got a couple uh, favorite moments there, small moments. But um, at the beginning when um, the Red Triangle Circus Gang attacks and they flip on the bat signal and it cuts to Bruce Wayne in in his study or whatever, just sitting there thinking. And the signal reflects off whatever he's built around the manor. And it cuts to him, and the light hits his face, and the music swells. Um, I hope we see a little return of those um, reflectors in uh, Batgirl or The Flash. Just a little small uh, callback. And that whole scene when he takes out the uh, Triangle Circus gang is pretty cool. You can see he really never gets out of his car, and uh, he still kind of saves the day. And I also like the scene at the end um, before Batman confronts uh, Shrek and Catwoman when he fires down his grapple and Hicks it uh, connects it to his bell and he opens the cape up and swoops on down. It's just classic Batman.
0: So I want to get back to the relationship in a minute, but uh, I also put down um, for my favorite moments, the um, first two red triangle gang attacks. I just kind of lumped them together. Um, and to piggyback off of what you're saying, you know, like, that scene where you know bruce is in his study and the light hits or the signal light reflects and you know he stands up and everything i loved that you know and the whole you know the first attack the music is really like sinister and eerie kind of like warbled clown music you know and it's you know once you see batman it's just like sweeping heroic music and you know it's it's interesting because They're having this Christmas celebration. They're going to do the lighting of a tree, and it turns into this gang of clowns literally holding everyone hostage and burning stores and people alive. And something I noticed in watching this is Batman in this scene, and in the second attack encounter with them, he's very low effort. Um, you know, like you said, he uses his Batmobile to take out, you know, most of the clowns he doesn't get out. He just hits a button here, or flips a switch there. You know, he roasts the fire breather. You know, and it's interesting because I feel like in the earlier part of this film, Batman is kind of introduced as more of like a godlike savior who barely has lift a finger, you know, and it's kind of opposed to like 1989, where his intro was more of a, a- avenging a-, a murder, you know, a serious crime, you know, and in this one, he's just quelling like an inconvenient riot, you know, and it carries over into a second encounter where, you know, he's pretty calm, he dodges the fights when he needs to, and he relies on his like special batarang. You know, and that's also the moment where he puts a bomb on a guy's chest and dumps him into a well, you know, and it's, it, I mentioned these things because it's, you know, Batman's, you know, stopping the bad guys, but it's done in a way that really like amplifies, you know, how powerful and overwhelming of a force he is. And it's not until he encounters Catwoman and Penguin do we ever really see Batman struggle. So I thought that was really interesting. Um. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts on that interpretation of Batman before we jump back to Catwoman, but feel free.
1: You know, it's funny that you guys mentioned uh, the red, <laughs> you, you, it's funny you mentioned the red triangle gang, because uh, for those comic book readers out there, uh, they literally just made their first in continuity appearance in the pages of uh, Robin number 15. Just this past month, actually. So, I mean, I, I feel like there is definitely a connection with the fact that the comic happened to release in the month of June, alongside um, the you know the thirtieth anniversary of of the of the, uh, of the film. But uh, I just thought that was an interesting fact, just because I remember seeing something about it uh, recently and thinking that is too much of a coincidence for it to be not something that was on purpose. So,
2: it's funny too how. Um it's a circus gang, the Red Triangle Circus Gang, but no one in the movie makes a mention of like, uh, of like, oh, another more clowns attacking Gotham, and it's, it shows how far we've come, where now everything has to be connected, there has to be callbacks, and even in the sequel, they don't even mention the Joker or anything.
0: It's it's funny too you say that because in uh, the Batman eighty nine comic book that's been running on right now, it's it's not the Red Triangle Gang or anything, but you know, Gotham City is just so used to of people dressing up as clowns to like cause riots and like destruction it's just i guess in that universe and in that confines it's just like a it's like a nor- an ordinary day for the citizens citizens of gotham um but circling back to that relationship um i wanted to talk about catwoman for a little bit you know and and <clears throat> her character cuz like i feel like that relationship between you know selena and bruce wayne is super strong but i also feel like um selena kyle is really kind of the anchor in this movie you know and i say that because you know after the prologue with penguin being born you know the first introduction we have to gotham city is through selena kyle you know we see her at work working for max Shrek, you know and his name is borrowed from the actor who played the vampire in the original nasferatu silent film you know, and, and basically, you know, everything's black and gray and it's very, you know, art deco and gothic at the same time. And, you know, the the scene that introduces us to Selena is, you know, Max Shrek and some other company people are talking and she's listening in, she offers a suggestion and they all kind of stare at her until Max says, you know, that Selena hasn't been properly housebroken yet. You know, but in the plus column, she makes one hell of a cup of coffee. You know, and it's a cat pun, but, you know, it also tells us that Selena, you know, is out of sync with this world. You know, everything around her is these shades of black and gray, you know, and here she is in like a beige suit making coffee and she has blonde hair too, which is also kind of in contrast to like the coloring of this movie, you know, and so I feel like, you know, right from the start, she's kind of the anchor and the champion we're supposed to focus on. It's a Batman movie, but really it's like, You know, in my opinion, Selena Kyle's the heart, you know, and and in a sense, too, where she's kind of like a champion for, like, people who don't feel at home with the world, you know, and very much like a Tim Burton character. If you think about, like, Edward Scissorhands or Ed Wood, or you can even go back to uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, where it's this weird, like, character who doesn't quite fit.
1: I agree completely, with, completely with that. And it's it's funny because when you think about it, there's always a character in Tim Burton's films that are like is like that. Uh, and a lot of, or at least not maybe not every single one of them, but a lot of his films have somebody like that, where it's like not the person you're expected to root for, um, but you end up rooting for them because you understand that they're going. That, you know, they've got their own issues that uh, th- that make them unique and different to everyone else. But that doesn't make at any less important of the stuff that they're dealing with so uh selena is like i said earlier i mean she's by far one of my favorite characters out of the you know all of the you know four films from 89 to uh batman robin she's by far one of my favorite characters of all of those films
2: yeah that their relationship is definitely the bruce wayne selena kyle relationships way better than um Uh, Bruce and Vicky and uh, that scene at the masquerade party where that's just a great scene when they're talking um, without, I think it's without, they're not wearing their masks and they've only, everybody else is wearing a mask but they're wearing their real mask which is their face because their real person is Batman and Catwoman, that's just a great scene
0: Yeah, I I love that scene it's just, well it's just, it kind of like everything comes to a head there where you know, um, you know, Bruce or I guess Batman's arc is, you know, I guess, well, I guess we'll talk on that, but um, you know, Selena Kyle's, you know, story up until that point is, you know, someone who's kind of beaten down by the world. Like when she's at her apartment, her answering machine is even kind of abusing her. Cause it's negative mes- messages from her mother and her soon to be ex boyfriend. Um, You know, and it's, you know, her whole thread line up until that point was like, Basically, getting revenge, kind of asserting herself as like this new transformed person and getting revenge. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but what do you guys think about like Batman's arc? Do you think he has one?
1: You know, it's funny with Batman because Batman doesn't really feel like the focus in either sense. You know, he's, you've got Penguin on one side and you've got Catwoman on the other, and they've got great character arcs in this one. And Batman's just kind of like along for the ride. Yeah, he plays into. The film, but it's really he plays into their stories. It's not really a Batman story in a in a lot of regard, other than he is a character in the film that is focused on. But Penguin gets a lot of the focus, Catwoman gets a lot of the focus, and Batman's just kind of there. And it's it's different than what you expect from a typical Batman film because most of the time you're f- you're following everything from his perspective that's what you see and there's an occasional scene here or there that lends into what's happening with the villain or another character that's important to the plot but with this film it really does feel like batman is the supporting
2: character in the film yeah he really doesn't have an arc um he kind of just kind of sits around and he's very reacting to everything one of my favorite kind of tidbits of the film is when um they uh, expose Penguin as uh, the main bad guy at that uh, speech with Shrek and they, they got the CDs and they're scratching the CDs and Penguin loses it and he shoots, he fire opens fire on the crowd and then runs away. And Batman really kinda does nothing. He just stays in the cave. Like you'd think he would go out and do anything, but I don't know. That's always been one of my favorite little uh, nitpicks in that. But yeah, he kinda just around. I think recently, or in years past, like they've talked, like Keaton talked about, like why he's not really in Batman Returns a lot, and they say it's like, oh, well, he's a, he's a mystery, he's a mystery character. You don't really you don't want him in there. You want him coming up out of out of nowhere. But it seems kind of a retcon, like it's Batman. Like we want to see Batman. We don't want to see, you know, uh, all the random stuff that happened in this movie.
0: It's it's kind of funny too, because like that whole scene, he was framing Penguin. And, you know, I guess you could say if there was any, like, inkling of an arc, you know, that they didn't follow through with is when Batman's framed, you know, and he has his little, like, getaway from the police. But after that sequence, you're, it doesn't. it's not dealt with again. He just, like, you know, reveals some dirt from Penguin and then problem solved. You know, but it's hey, interesting. Kind of- he says, I'm good. It's it's new point that he just hangs out at his cave because now I'm reminded of in 1989 when he gets Vicky Vale drunk and they just sleep together and it's like well Batman took the night off because Vicky Vale was over. What about the Penguin? Like other than you know the design and his grotesqueness, do you guys you know have feel like what do you think you know his story was? Because I think like before we like get like too far into it, I feel like there's a way penguins portrayed for like 90% of the film. And then like at the very end, there's like this weird switch they do. So I don't know how I feel about him, but I'm curious how you guys do.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, put aside his appearance and things like that. And this version of the character, it is kind of strange because you're kind of built up to think that not so much that he's a villain, but you can tell he's a villain, but not like in the, he's doing horrible, evil things. It really, to, to a degree, there's a level of like, he's trying to feel accepted and he feels as if he was thrown away. And this is his chance for redemption in a lot of ways. But you can tell that there's like, obviously some underlying aspects of his plan that are, you know, trying to, you know, be villainous as the, as the easiest way to put it. But I think that by the end of it, I think, I don't know that I feel like this, but I think there are some people who would feel sorry for him because he really just was trying to, you know, like he was different. He had no control over the fact that he was born differently. He had no control over the fact that his parents, you know, abandoned him, but he, in some ways tried to make the best of it. He created a group that may have done bad things for the wrong reasons and things like that. But he was he, he 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 surrounded himself with people who accepted him, and then he decided that he wanted to be accepted by the larger, general audience of you know of Gotham City and things like that. And I think there's a reason you know you, in your notes you mentioned that at the very end uh, the music is sympathetic and sad, and it's it's true because I think by that point you understand that maybe him dying or maybe the the situation that everything how everything landed uh, was not exactly great for him i mean he's not the character that you're rooting for selena is definitely that character in this film but you don't feel like i don't know like i i think about that sequence when he died and the penguins carry him off into the water and i'm thinking that is Kind of sad. I mean, like, I don't like the guy, and I don't really like this version of the character, but it's kind of sad how that all ends up playing out.
2: You can tell that Dan DeVito's having a great time with the, uh, being the penguin and, it's true. uh, chewing up the scenery. He has the great line, one of the best lines in Batman movie history, where, um, where he says, I was born number one, but they, they treated me like number two. And I can't believe that that's a line in a Batman movie, but it is. And, um,
0: yeah, it's, it's interesting because I kind of grapple back and forth. You know, I probably looking through my notes as I'm watching the movie. I'm writing all these things down because like in the beginning, you know, Bruce Wayne's like reading articles about the Red Triangle gang and these circus performers and this aquatic bird boy and all that, you know, and he, you know, is telling Alfred what he thinks Penguin knows and doesn't know, you know, when we see that confirmed in the movie, like Penguin knows who his parents are. Next scene, Penguin goes to the cemetery and reveals them, you know, and. And I took that early on as like a cue that like Penguin's very manipulative and he's a performer and everything's performative, you know, and I feel like the movie wants you to feel like, you know, for a lot of it, Penguin is like some kind of master manipulator. And like, he's definitely hard to like, you know, he's, he bites that dude's face, you know, he wants to kill the firstborn children of Gotham, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's, it's. Yeah, it's very difficult to be sympathetic towards him. But, you know, like you say, you know, that ending, you know, it's it's the penguins dragging him out. It's, it's sad. And, and maybe, you know, Penguin's a monster, you know, and he was brought out into the light by even more of a monster, a more powerful monster who just had the same singular focus of, like, amassing more power. And maybe, you know... It's good that he's gone, but also, like, this idea that he was born bad and he never had a chance, and that's why there's some sort of sympathy. I don't know. But that's, it's, it's, I feel like it's very complicated. I agree. Um, as far as, like, what to make of the movie as a whole, you know, I would ask this question, you know, what do you think this movie's about? that 's hard to say, like I said,
1: I think it 's a redemption for i I think to a degree there's a level of there are there are people in the world who you know are forgotten who are thrown away, who are pushed aside, and those people can have an effect um, You can have a good effect, you can have a bad effect um, you, have a, you you can make the right choice, you can make the wrong choice. And I think that this movie does a great job of, like, showing, you know, Batman, he's making choices to try to do good for people. Uh, Catwoman is kind of straddling that line, and Penguin is he's doing things that, that would benefit him and not really anybody else, um, except for maybe, you know, his close companions. But, I mean, I, I think that this movie does a great job of showing, like, that Mirrored version. We talk about this practically with every Batman film because it's 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 what makes every Batman villain so good for Batman is that there are versions of characters that so closely come to what Bruce Wayne is or who Batman is, and when you see just a slight change. How much different that character can be like there's you know the point in the film where he's trying to point out about who his parents were penguins parents are and uh, you know he could have been just like Bruce Wayne if his parents didn't throw him away and um, he could have grown up and you know had that silver spoon that Bruce Wayne had and all of that and it's interesting because it's like that one little situation that changes everything for him and then when you look at selena she has that one situation that changes her from being you know this background character who's making coffee for you know the the company men to she you know takes charge of her life because of this situation that happens and it's always interesting because batman is that character where that one fateful night changed his life forever and conveniently there just happens to always be these situations that happen with a lot of Batman villains where it's like one small thing can make a huge difference. And I think this film does a great job of showing the different ways that characters could turn out just because of a, a you know, a unfortunate event that happens to them.
0: Yeah. You know, I would, I would ag- agree with that in the sense that like, it's, it's, you know, they all come from the same place of being, like, disconnected and somewhat isolated from society. But, you know, what it really is, like, about the choices, like, we as viewers can make, you know, based on, like, the fables of, like, these three characters who are kind of oscillating around the same idea, but are obviously making different choices and, and representing, like, different ideals. Um, I mean, there's also a lot of uh, repressed urges in here, too. There's... You know, it's, it's a, something that's very much prevalent, and it's probably what pissed off parents a lot back in the day in the 90s, um, you know, with this idea of, like, Penguin with his very uh, overt, like, deviancy and, like, very wanton display of, of, of harassing people, I guess, you know, and, and Catwoman and Batman deal with their own, like, repressed urges in their own way, much more, like, toned down and subdued, but... Um, definitely there and very in your face. But to move on to the last section, I feel like this is something, BJ, you might appreciate. <laughs> and a section I call The Legacy We Leave Behind for Chip. Um, and really, I wanted to point out something that in this universe, uh, Penguin refers to Chip as Gotham's favorite son. So clearly Bruce Wayne is not that. Um, but the question I have for the group is, what's Chip's deal?
2: Chip, he's a legend. We, hashtag Chip to TPU. That's what we need. We need to get Chip to on this podcast. That's, what we, that's his deal. But uh, I don't know what his deal is. He's definitely the – he enjoys being the uh, favorite son of the city where he's up there right next to his dad every – well, at that one press conference that we see. And he's the one that Penguin wants the most. He doesn't even want Max Shrek. So he's definitely I'm sure he's a guy who enjoys the nightlife. life, he enjoys the uh uh the money. And uh, I think that's his whole backstory, he's just a rich brat.
1: I don't disagree. Um I think that uh to
2: it it it
1: almost feels like someone it there's obviously a plot point that takes place where uh penguins after the firstborns and all of that because of how everything that happened with him. However, the one thing that's odd about this is that, um, pay, the, the actor who plays chip and the lack of, uh, of like kind of like fleshing out the character or doing anything to make the character somebody that you care about or don't care about or anything like that makes it feel like somebody just said, Hey, we need to cast this actor because he's the nephew of so-and-so and we need to get him in the film He's not going to have a very big role, but we need him to at least be on screen for X amount of minutes. That's how it feels. I mean, I'll be honest. It, it there's not a lot of there's not a lot there. I don't I don't know what the deal with Chip is. Um, they kind of go they kind of wafe back and forth between the purpose of him and then he's there is no purpose for him later on. So like it doesn't make a lot of sense. It don't, it feels like it was something that was just like placed in for the sheer fact of just needing to be there for some unknown, determined reason.
0: I I will posit this. Um, You know, he's... You're right, he's kind of, like, all over the place. Like, he sacrifices himself to save his father early on. Near the end, Max obviously stands in for Chip's place when Penguin goes to abduct him, but otherwise, he's just kind of standing around and he's just kind of aloof and just feels like he's out of it. Even when Penguin goes to try to abduct him, Chip's, Chip's responses are... Um, they don't feel like they're jiving with the moment or he really understands the gravity of what's going on. But I will posit this idea. Perhaps Chip is the blank canvas for our protagonist. He is the soul of Gotham City that our protagonists are forcing their crises upon.
2: Um, okay. <laughs> that, that is a, that's one way to go with it. We saw the Red uh, red Triangle Circus game finally uh, make its way into comics. I think it's time for uh, Chip, Chip and Max to make their way into comics. There we go. We'll tell Chip Zdarsky to uh, oh,
0: there you go. bring his fellow man in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So with that, that is going to wrap up our conversation for Batman Returns. Um, if you'd like us to talk more things about Batman Returns, I mean there's a lot of different topics that were pitched about. Uh, as far as like what we could talk about, um, there was all kinds of different things we could have talked about. Uh, the cultural response, uh, the SN- uh, uh, Super Nintendo video game, uh, the toys. There's a lot of different items that we could touch on. And I know some of us would li- love to touch on some of those more than others. But if there's a topic specifically related to Batman Returns that you guys like us to discuss... Let us know. Uh, leave us a comment in the comment section or uh, on YouTube or send us an email at tbu at net. Uh, with all that being said, be sure to check out our website for all kinds of news, um, reviews, original content, and other podcasts that we have to offer related to movies, television, video games, News and everything else related to the Bat fandom. Um, in addition to that, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, um, Discord. All of our social links can be found over at the website, thebatmembers.net, at the top of the page. Um, you can uh, get in touch with us, as I mentioned, at TBU at the Uh Submit some other ideas of things you'd like us to discuss in the future. We're always interested in hearing other topics. Uh, we have a couple of topics here that uh, we're trying to uh, basically... See if they're going to be something that we can actually you know, make a good episode about. But we have some ideas for some interesting content here in the near future. But we're always open to more ideas, so be sure to shoot those over. Um, with all of that being said, that is going to wrap everything up for this episode for BJ, Scott, and myself. Thank you so much for listening to the TBU Podcast, and we'll see you guys next time.